Hi, Wine Delusters, and in this episode, we're heading to the Macedon Ranges in Victoria. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name is Janine, and I run a wine events business in Canberra. But my real passion is travel, and my bucket list is to travel to every wine region in the world. In this series, I'll be exploring some regional Aussie wine destinations. I'll give you some tips whether you're planning a romantic getaway, a girls' weekend, or you're dragging the kids along. Pour yourself a glass, and let's get exploring. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. When I'm going around talking to winemakers, the connection that they have and the appreciation they have for the land is really obvious. And it always makes me think of our First Nations people and their real connection to the land. So I acknowledge and pay my respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Wow, I'd heard about the Macedon Ranges, but not being a Victorian girl, I didn't quite realise how close it was to Melbourne. When I've been to Melbourne, I often visit the Mornington Peninsula and Yarra Valley, which are both stunning, but this one should definitely be on your hit list as well. The infamous Hanging Rock and the trendy spa town of Dalesford are probably the most famous points in the region. I was there at the start of autumn, and some parts were really lush and green and mountainous, and others are on wide open spaces. There's lots of little towns scattered around, and in between all of these are small family-run boutique wineries many with cellar doors. Many of the vineyards have been planted within the last 40 years. It's quite a wide region, with the closest part being just 40 minutes from Melbourne by car, and the furthest being about two hours. It is easier if you do have a car, but if you don't, you can do a great day trip, if you don't mind a bit of a stroll, by catching the train to the town of Mount Macedon. Mount Macedon's main street is on a hill. It's full of very tall fences and you get some glimpses of some beautiful, massive mansions. Tucked just behind the main street is Mount Turong Winery. It's just six acres and has a beautiful little cellar door there with a very popular restaurant serving up local produce every weekend. The owner, George, wanted to follow in his family's Italian heritage footsteps and delighted his dad with planting a vineyard with some Italian varieties. Winemaker Adam works with the family now, and I got to sit down with both George and Adam. There's such a pleasure to meet, and I know you're going to enjoy this chat. So we've got Adam, the winemaker, and George, the owner of Mount Turong. Yep. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, you nailed it. Fantastic. So we're right near the town of Mount Macedon, which is a beautiful little town that I just drove through. Yep. Sitting in your gorgeous cellar door, overlooking your beautiful vines that are about to be harvested in the next couple um, of weeks or next three month. Three weeks or three so weeks, say. Yeah. So let's go back to the history. So George, you're yeah. the owner. You planted all these vines? Yeah, together with the family, we uh, we all got together and started planting. Bought the land, but my father was still around then and he had vineyards in Italy. So yeah. When did your dad come out from Italy? Uh, in the early 50s. And so he was quite keen to do that when he came here? Well, he never got round to doing it. And then I said it's one day, why don't we, uh, I want to grow some grapes. He was all on board. It's been great. Came so to- how did you find this piece of land? Because when I was driving here, it was like going through the little town and then turn right and go down this little street. Yep. And then there's a vineyard. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And it's not sort of um, visible from the road. That, no. Yeah. No, it's so hidden, it's hidden, hidden away. away. Yeah. Wanted something in the hills, just love the hills, and came across this. That was 32 years ago, 
So then we started planning, what about 26 95, years ago? Yeah, yeah. And, and what did you plant first? Chardonnay and a little bit of Pinot. And then we went and started planting the Prosecco and the Biola. And so are they the four grapes that you grow here? Yep. yep. And then you've got some from Heathcote that you bring in? Yeah, that's right. And we planted some more Prosecco on the other side there and some Pinot Bianco. Yeah, and it sort of grew from there. Well, originally planted thinking we'd just make some of our own wine for, for the family and it sort of grew. grew. And then Adam... Too came. much wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to sell it. Yeah. Too much for the family now. Yeah. So it has to yeah. sell some of it. Yeah. 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 That's it. So it's been good. It's been great. And yeah. you've got this beautiful cellar door that I know is open on the weekends. Yep. There's a restaurant now. Yeah. And you do all sort of local produce. Jason Palmer, our chef, does a great job. The, the menu generally will change monthly mm. and it keeps it really interesting also for the locals. Yeah, the whole idea with the menu is that it matches the wines and vice versa. Yeah. So that they work well together. So what do you think makes the Macedon Rangers so special? Yeah, yeah. mainly tiny producers. Yeah, a lot of, yes, scattered around, family-oriented, small wineries, which is... But everyone from region. Melbourne's jumped on board to come yeah. and support the area by the sounds it's of it. like. Great. Oh, yeah, because it's only, if you hop in a car from the city, it's 40 minutes to, to get here. fantastic, yeah. yeah. Nothing. I was surprised that it was cool climate so close to Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, Melbourne has those four seasons in a day, but That's it can right. be quite warm down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the elevation. Mm. So, so it's the fact that we're 600 metres above sea level, mm. and that gives you much colder nights. Mm. And that's something that uh, greatly affects the wines from producing the Masson Ranges, because you've got a greater, they call it a diurnal range. Mm. So you've got a, the overnight minimum and the day maximum is greater. And when you've got a great diurnal range, it, it promotes great natural acidity in the fruit. So all the Masson mm. Ranges wines are high acid, um, they're lively, they're often light. And because of the acidity, they generally have great longevity as well. So bottling potential. That's something that's you know, directly affected by the elevation of the vineyards. So pretty much most of the vineyards in the Masson Ranges are somewhere between 400 metres and 800 metres elevation. When do you expect the Pinot Bianco to be ready if it oh. was planted two years ago? A couple more years? Couple or? More. Yeah. yeah, there'll be couple a little more. bit of fruit in the 2023 vintage mm. yeah. um, and then probably a proper crop, I'd say 24. Yeah. In the Masson Ranges, pretty much five years after you plant, you'll get your first proper crop. That's the general rule. Yeah. It's a bit quicker for warmer climates, um, but very cold up here, so things grow a little slower. You were just saying you've got some other wines that you're going to be producing from the grapes, and it was a really interesting blend. A sparkling, because we've got Nebbiolo as well, um, Chardonnay. So we said one day we'll, we'll blend the two, Chardonnay and Nebbiolo, and we're doing a sparkling Chardonnay. So it'll be like a... Rosé? Or does it be a more a red? It's it's rosé colour. Yeah, something pink in colour. Nice and dry. Made it all. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's called Vivace. So yeah. that translates just to lively. It means Italian. lively in Italian. Yeah. And is that a blend that they make in Italy? No. 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 So it's unique. It's just it from, from you guys. It is. It's unique and it's become really popular, isn't it? bring in different grapes from Heathcote or do you bring in the same grapes? Generally the same. So, yeah. so from up there, we're at the moment, yeah, the last few years we've been getting Vermentino, 
which is native to the island of Sardinia. Oh, yes. Um, also, Negro Amaro, which is a southern Italian variety. We're working with that um, yeah. Puglia, and we've um, there's not much of that plant planted in all of Australia, mm. but it's an awesome grape variety. Yeah, it should be around more, um, and we just love working with it, and it um, produces beautiful wine. And do you um, oak that one? Yes. Yep. Yeah, mm. yeah, we do. Um, only a little bit, not a huge amount, and at the moment we're mainly focusing on using small amounts of Hungarian oak oh. as opposed to French. We just we tried yeah. it out a couple of years ago. And really happy with uh, what it gives to the wine. I've heard it can give a bit of a spiciness. Is it that can, what you it mean? can, but we, we really, generally, we only leave the reds in oak for six months. Uh, so it's not, it's only just there in the background. Yeah, um, that sounds great. Yeah, all our wines are more delicate style, yeah. lighter style, great with food and enjoying. Our aim with the wines we make are. For, for the wines to be a, a good expression of the fruit that we started with. And there's another variety that we haven't spoken about from Heathcote, Rubola Jala. Jala. So good. it's native to Friuli. Friuli, which yep. is north of Venice. Yep. And um, there's, there's only really one planting of it at the moment in Australia. Yep. That's up that's up Chalmers in Heathcote. Oh. So, yeah. so we've been lucky enough to be, we got that last year and this, this year. We've got some over in the winery at the moment fermenting. And last year we made our first Rubola Jala and we fermented it. It's a white variety. Yeah. Fermented it on skins. Yeah. So we treat it in open fat. So we treated it like a red wine. Wow. And it gives you this beautiful amber oh. um, orange wine with heaps of complexity and texture and flavour. And it just goes so well with food. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, so very unique variety. Um, and we're very excited about it been working here for about 10 years Adam. Yes. so what was yeah. your history how did you get into oh, wine i was living in sydney at the time with my wife working in restaurants up there i developed a real passion for wine through that i remember one evening my wife said to me why don't you get involved in winemaking and i said i almost laughed it off <laughs> and said what what are you talking about and she said and, and my wife belinda said oh yeah there's all these you know, degrees you can do in, in winemaking and viticulture. So I thought about it for about 10 minutes <laughs> and thought, wow, that would be so amazing. So moved from Sydney back down here. I started studying in 2010 and about a year into the study got one of my lecturers that there might be a part-time job available at a vineyard up in Mount Macedon. Yeah. And that was it. Met Deirdre and started yeah. off. I'm saying one day a week. Yeah. Yeah. It happened very organically. I've loved every minute of it, to be honest. It's times of the year. It's very. It's taxing mm. and hard work, but it's so much fun. Um, so I'm super lucky to be doing something that is just so much fun. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Well, it is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful cellar door, and, and I can't wait to come back here again. Another winemaker doing some interesting things is Ben at Willamy. You've probably heard stories about shipwrecks off Europe where they found champagne that was like 200 years old and it was still drinkable. Since then, winemakers all over the world have been experimenting with ageing their wines underwater. And Ben wasn't going to let not being by the sea stop his experimenting. I caught up with Ben for more about his wines. So welcome, Ben, to the Wine de Lust podcast. Yeah, nice to be here, Jane. The joys of Zoom. 
you didn't get to meet when I was in the area because it was in the middle of harvest and you were really, really busy. How was your harvest this mm. year? Yeah, it went well, thank you. Yeah, we had a, uh, um, a late harvest. I mean, probably like most of Australia being a Lanini year, another cool one. But here in Macedon, we're obviously the coolest region on mainland Australia. So we were picked certainly into April. Some guys uh, in higher elevations were still picking Pinot and Chardonnay at the beginning of May. Vintage of patience to try and wait for the fruit to come off. And you were saying that it's the coldest region on mainland Australia. Coming from Canberra, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> Um, can you tell us a bit about that? From a wine region that is, a GI, yeah. Macedon is on mainland Australia because it doesn't include the winter. It's really your growing season from bud burst to harvest. We do get very mild summers and obviously cool springs and, and autumns. I mean, we're only talking minute differences yeah. here, so it's not like a massive difference. The really exciting thing that you're doing is you're ageing some of your Pinot Noir underwater which is super unique. So how did all that come about? Mm -hmm. Been in the back of my mind for 15, 20 years. First heard about the the story of wine underwater was when I was working in the Yarra Valley in the early 2000s. Um, My old boss there, Steve Weber at Devortley's, he had been to Spain, he and his wife, or Portugal, I can't remember which, and had had um, a bottle of wine that was matured in the ocean. And I remember him talking about it and he thought it was really interesting wine and and lovely. So that story resonated with me and the opportunity finally arose for me to do it was when we started our own business here at Willamy in Macedon when we bought this property. We had our first vintage from the 15 vintage um, here in Macedon. And then obviously our wines were matured uh, in barrel for 12 months and another three or four months in, in tank before being bottled in the winter of 2016. So those wines, this is very much a project not of winemaking but of wine maturation. Mm. And there's a big difference there. If we're not making wine underwater, we're just maturing wine underwater. And that's where the analogy of the shipwreck will come into play where you hear and read of these fantastic stories of people discovering, you know, wine at the bottom of the Baltic or the Mediterranean or the Atlantic um, oceans. And, you know, those wines are 100 years old or whatever they might be and that people are raving about them and they're very unique and interesting. So um, we really wanted to be in the replication of uh, maturing wine underwater, not making wine underwater. So when we get to bottling, I um, go about 20 to 30% of our Pinot is clean skin. So they stay then underwater for five years. I understand you've got, is it like big stainless steel tanks that you put them in? A lot of, I did a lot of research into this to figure out how to do it because when we bought Willamy, there was an old winery here. I inherited three big stainless steel tanks in the winery, in the shed, undercover, obviously. And that's where I mature the wine in those tanks. So we're 150 kilometres from the ocean or, or 100 kilometres from the ocean down to Melbourne or what have you. I considered, you know, do we go and drop the wine in, in the ocean somewhere? Because that's what everyone else does in the world. And I just know that someone in Australia will be diving for a lobster <laughs> or abalone or whatever. So I just don't trust you know, leaving wine off the coast somewhere. Makes and how many sense. bottles do you have in a tank at one time? I've got a few vintages in each tank, sort of rotating them. And obviously every winter when I put the new vintage in, I'll pull the, the five-year-old vintage out for release. 
So uh, we have a very small vineyard here. Our Pinot is only one and a half acres or about 0.6 of a hectare. The average is three barrels really, which is about 70 dozen total production. And I will put um, between 15 and 20 dozen underwater. And then I'll keep uh, another 10 or 15 um, in, the, in the cellar for comparative purposes five years down the track. I'd like to obviously grow that and have more Pinot. Um, we've grafted over, I've got eight acres of Chardonnay and I've started grafting over some of the Chardonnay to Pinot Noir and therefore I'll have more Pinot in the future to expand um, yeah, the Pinot range and then also obviously wine underwater. So I saw on your website that it's all sold out. So it's obviously very popular. What sort of <laughs> characteristics, yeah, what did you notice the differences were? Yeah, we were sold out, which is great. Um, we released the next vintage, the six this spring. But really, it's been really intriguing. I've had um, media and some wine professionals doing side-by-side tastings with me. And then I've had quite a lot of feedback from our clients. So what we found was that compared to the control, the wine underwater was fresher, more vibrant. It was a six-year-old wine, but it looked like it was a three-year or two-year-old wine compared to the control in your normal cellar. So that was really intriguing and more fruity, more vibrant. Yeah, we've had a lot of really interesting comments. I mean, I've, had, I've only had a few clients that said they prefer the control over the underwater wine. Most other people prefer it the other way around. So it's been fantastic. I did see also on your website, you've got a <laughs> Blanc de Blanc. That's yeah. like been on lease for like 26 years. So can you um, first explain to people what um, being on Lees is, um, but also how did all that come about if you bought mm-hmm. Willamie only less than 10 years ago? So we've got a, um, a Blanc de Blanc, 1995. Firstly, we found the wine, a vineyard about 20 kilometres down the road in the Macedon Ranges uh, called Cote Williams Vineyard, and the owner passed away at the beginning of COVID and their children put the property up for sale and all the stock on hand for sale. I don't know why they had a 1995, but I reckon they may have found it in the back corner and they'd completely forgotten about it. So <laughs> Blanc de Blanc, so it means Chardonnay of Chardonnay. So there's no Pinot Noir in the wine. And um, this is in Magnums only. Large format size helps with curing on lees. So what on lees means is when uh, you make sparkling, you make a, a base wine, which is just fermenting the grape juice, put it in tank or in barrels for a certain amount of time. And when they bottle sparkling or champagne, they will always use a crown seal, which is a beer cap on the champagne. So then uh, you have the yeast and a little bit of sugar in each bottle, and that will then re-ferment to a secondary ferment in the bottle. And that's how you get your sparkles because the pressure builds up from the conversion of sugar to alcohol and CO2. And then when the yeast uh, finish fermenting, they obviously, well, they die. And then their sediment will settle at the bottom of the bottle. And that's the lees. And so traditionally in Champagne, they'll leave those bottles lying on their side in the cave. And then you'll see the romanticism after five to seven years. They start turning the bottle quarter by quarter and then freeze the cap, forces all the sediment out, and then you can quickly put a cork back on and, uh, and wire it up. So in this case, it's been 26 years and voila. It's really cool, actually. It's a great project. So uh, we had to quickly design a new label for it because it's not under the Willamie label because it's not from our property. So we called it by Ben Rankin. And um, we have Coat Williams on the side of the label, recognising because it is their, their winemaking and, and their vineyard. You're also the winemaker at Mount Monument Wines. 
And I mm-hmm, saw that right. the owner there is um, the architect who designed Mona and that there's a cellar door coming mm. soon there. Is it going to be sort of that similar aesthetic to Mona? Because that's like an amazing building. Indeed, you're spot on, Janine. Yeah, um, exactly right. So Nonda Catsalides owns that property and Mount Monument, which is about 20 k's down the road. And we have just built a winery restaurant cellar door, a sculpture park, and it is in a vein of Mona-esque. Beautiful. It's brutalistic, a lot of concrete, a lot of steel, glass. There's a bridge that's cut into the side of the hill. There's a bridge which you've got to enter from to get into the winery, Uh, similar to Mona, obviously. There's about 30-odd sculptures that have been built, and some of them are absolutely beautiful and massive. I'm talking huge. You know, Some of them are like four or five storeys high, Um, massive sculptures. We've been making wines at Mount Monument for 20 years, but um, this is the first one in that building on site. Wow, that sounds fantastic. I'm, I look forward to getting back to Victoria and seeing that. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Good to chat. All the best. You too. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. So what wines to try? The Macedon Ranges is cool climate because it's got a high elevation of about 600 metres or higher. And the flagships here are Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. This is what you'll primarily find around here. Many of the cellar doors are only open on weekends, so you need to plan around that. I had a great tasting at Hanging Rock Cellar Door, which has beautiful views of the rock. They also have a sculpture exhibition on site in the warmer months. I've also heard great things about Cobar Ridge Winery that are located on the northern slopes, which are a bit warmer and not far from Kyneton. Of course, you have to visit Mount Turong. You can also visit Ben at Willamy by appointment only. And Mount Monument is definitely on the list now when it opens this winter. If you fancy cider, head over to Dalesford Cider. They have a beautiful garden at their cellar door that you can sit and enjoy a paddle of cider tastings. It's about five kilometres out of town. And they have something a little bit different with their watermelon fizz, which is really refreshing in summer. If you like liqueurs, on the way to Dalesford Cider, there's Peros. They had liqueurs of every single flavour. And so I picked up some coconut one for when I next crave a pina colada. And if you like gin, check out Mountain Distilling, which is also part of Mount Turong. They have foraging and tasting experiences in the cooler months of March to August. So some other things to do and see in the area. Well, you have to pop by Hanging Rock Reserve. It was my first time there and I drove in wondering where this rock was. I parked, followed the path, still couldn't see it. And as you continue along the path, All of a sudden, it comes into its craggy glory. It's got lots of little nooks and crannies. It takes about 50 minutes round trip to get to the top and back again. On site there, there's also a museum with a history of the legend and some natural artefacts. It also tells you about the Indigenous history of the region. There's also playgrounds and coffee and other walking paths to do. Check out local event guides because there's lots of events happening regularly due to its close proximity to Melbourne. So some quick stats on the region. It's as close as 40 minutes from Melbourne and it's located in between Melbourne and Bendigo. For accommodation, there's lots of little towns with bed and breakfasts and motels and Dalesford has some pretty special looking spa hotels as well. While you're in the region, you must try the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but basically give anything a go because it's all been very good what I've tried. For the kids, check out Hanging Rock Reserve. You can't go wrong with that. And thank you so much for listening. And until next time, happy wine travels. For everything discussed today, check out 
the Wine Delust website. And if you're interested in trying some of the wines, we have some events coming up too. And subscribe to my newsletter to find out what else is happening.